out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastorp. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Joyce McKinney experience because I managed to track down two members of the band. I know, two for the price of one. This is Yvonne McAvoy and Paul McGibbon to find out more about life, love, poetry, all that other groovy stuff. Anyway, look, after a lot of casual chat, well, you know, it's showbiz. We got down to that very exciting, it's, um, yes, part of the interview where we were talking about those early musical uh, influences and memories. Memories, it's all about the memories. Anyway, on this occasion, it's quite easy to tell who's Yvonne and who's Paul. So, Yvonne, tell us about your early musical moments, memories, all that kind of groovy stuff. It's over to you. Oh, yes. Well, I, yeah, I was born in 67, so I had all the 70s music too. And I mean, yeah, no, looked, looked it all. I was a big Blondie fan. It was, it was mainly the Wombles for a long time, mainly just the Wombles. And then it was then it was Blondie, yeah. I, I loved on that and mm. the Police, and it was it was all very popular. That's like what you say when you were ten. When I was ten, yeah. The Wombles. The Wombles. <laughs> can I just can I just tell you an interesting Womble story? Because my partner yeah. had the biggest Womble collection in the world, and we got a Guinness Book of Records for the biggest Womble collection because she started collecting Womble stuff for some Uh-oh. reason. And um, and then if you Google, you know, Google her name, she um, she sort of sold it recently because she thought actually I'm I've kind of done with it now, but I've really enjoyed it. But the Wombles played a massive part in our lives. I agree. In Leamington, in Leamington, where I'm from, where we were from, there's there was a music shop called Buzz Stop, and uh, the bloke there, Buzz, as he was called, ru- it was rumored he was one of the Wombles. Yes. Uh, I don't know if it's true. There must be quite a few rumours of... Because uh, you can't really tell because they have the big woolly suits and whatnot. Yes, well, I think it wasn't, wasn't Chris Spedding a Warmball as well? Didn't he? I heard that as well, yeah. yeah. I, I think he tried to play that down because apparently, for some weird reason, people didn't think it was very cool to be a Warmball. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Anyway... From, from my perspective, answering your question. Oh, yes. Or do you want to carry on? Or is oh, you, no, you no. just said Wombles and it's all, that's the end of it. I know. It was I mean, I was born in 64, right? So you're probably... I'm about 64, that March. Okay, I'm two months older than you then. So, I mean, when we were kids, the, you know, the internet didn't exist, nothing like this, did it? So you basically, when you were 10, unless you had an older brother, sister, whatever, you basically, you watch on the telly what, on any of the three, three channels at the time, you basically watch what your parents put on. Yeah, you, you, you didn't really say, no, I want to go and sit in my room and watch something else because they didn't exist, you know, and you're saying with the radio. So it's only when a kid at school lent me a cassette copy of Nevermind the Bollocks and I, I took it home and played it when those little cassette players with a with the one, the curly cable uh, with one earpiece, and just listen. I go, Jesus Christ! Never heard this before. It's a what, big revolution. What, what the fuckity yes. fuck is this? You know, yeah. oops, can't say that on the radio, can you? You can bleep it. Excellent. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and that, and then the next day, I said to my dad, "I want a guitar," and and so on. But my sister, who was nine years older than me, she was be she was a fan of. Um, Alice Cooper and Slade and Rod and the Faces and stuff. So I had a bit of that lurking along in the background as a music to grow up. Yes. And do you remember where where you were when you first heard Bohemian Rhapsody, for example? I do. You know when? I you know where was David was when he first heard Bohemian? How do you remember? <laughs> no, I can't. I, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't. I can't. I can remember. Because it was a, it was kind of the thing that was just there all the time, wasn't it? For a year, ish. The video for, for a year, but but when it first came out, it there was nothing like it, you know. You know, it was just like I mean, I remember listening to that in in the kitchen at my mum's house on on the radio, and she's like, "What the hell is that? That's well, I know, I know exactly because I was I was actually this is really sad. 
but my house now is two doors down from where my dad used to live. <laughs> well, about what? Five doors down. He's going to be pedantic <laughs> about this. Fair enough. And and so it was there because they bought Night of the Opera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was me with my headphones listening to the Queen. Yeah. Well, my brother had. So that, I think. I think my brother had news of the world. He, one of my brothers, he'd gone into the the army, and I think he bought a couple of albums when he was there. And it was kind of that one that had, I don't know, we are the champions on, and various other ones. Is it news of the world with the big robotic kind of cover? I think um, monster. Yeah, yeah. So that was his. But I had a brother who was seven years older than me, and he was into prog rock. And so it was Yes, Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Barclay James Harvest, and the solo work of Rick Wakeman. And at that time, being your age, I'd sneak into his room because he said, don't go into my room and watch those records, uh, play those records. So obviously you go, okay, won't. Right, off you go, play the records, go, wow, this is amazing music, you know. No, I haven't touched anything. And um, so I have an, a, a love of prog rock. Well, not a love, but a kind of, it's there in my DNA. I can't, I can't shift it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, what, it's your youth. It's what reminds you of your youth. I think things like that, uh, the smell of phone boxes. There's <laughs> something about that that oh, yeah. reminds me of you my youth. You should really come around for a whole evening, really. This is going to be a long interview. It could be eight, but until the, ba the battery's fully charged on the laptop. <laughs> yes. But then, though, it says on your discography, the band formed in the late 1900s. I'm, I'm guessing that hasn't been updated, has it? Because there isn't a lot out there on, on sort of band and so someone must have missed out a, a number so it says it was a dual female front and melodic hardcore punk band of the late 1900s from Leamington Spa I'm thinking you probably were about before then after then weren't you that sounds like a typo to me it's a typo <laughs> it's a, and that's why I said it tried to be all unless you unless you wrote it and you're trying to be funny mm. it's unlikely though isn't it <laughs> <laughs> so when did you I mean, so when did you start to think about forming a band? When was this kind of moment that happened? This, this, was, this was 86, basically, when I met you, wasn't it? And, and then you introduced me to... This is a totally new world for me. I came from, like, a, a town, if you like, which was... Um, I discovered the damned. I was a Say massive the name of the town. In Lutterworth, in Leicestershire. It was... Um, and like I say, somebody had let me a cassette and said, you probably won't like this. And I did. I loved it. And it was, you know, the damned and it was the early stuff. So I was a big damned fan. I was about 16. And then um, because of that, we started going out in Coventry. And then I, I met all you lot, didn't I? Well, you met um, me in Coventry. We, yeah. we were back in the day, 30-something years ago. Or yeah. 30, we were boyfriend and girlfriend back 30 yeah. years ago. You know, yeah. We're not now. No. Hater now. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the smell. Yeah. But you can tell I look at so. anyway, but, but it was, that was my introduction. You, mm -hmm. they introduced me. If you but like, I was me. already playing in, in bands yeah. at the time. Uh, and I know that one other band at, at the time as well. And the singer in that band, his wife was Sharon, who was also, she came in. So <laughs> these two having met, good. Sharon and Yvonne having met, we all were hanging out with each other. We it, decided. It was brilliant. It was the best. I, I, I was I was seventeen, right? I just met this brilliant bunch of people who were all kind of so open-minded and so the music was so fabulous. It was a completely new world to me. And like you say, um, the singer of your band, mm. his wife asked me, and all she said was, "Oh, do you want to be in my band? I'm going to form a band, and we're going to be all girls." Yeah, but yeah. that didn't work. The girls, but bit the girls didn't bit didn't work because we. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just roughly, you know, you have that punk period, then you have post-punk, don't you, in a slight way. And then in the indie world started in 80, I put it down as 83 to 87, which was the years of the Smiths, interesting theory. But, you know, roughly. Um, and, and so there was a golden period of those jingly jangly bands that, that were there and, and around during that period, weren't there? Because the other thing that helped a lot of people was that, you know, there was huge unemployment, which wasn't great, but people could sign on, they could do the job sneakers allowance, enterprise allowance. It gave a lot of people those, you know, a lot of people I've interviewed have like, oh yes, we did all those schemes, like from Blythe Power to Jumbawamba mm -hmm. and, um, and lots of other bands in between. So it gave people, you know, that opportunity to think, well, what should we do? Let's form a band. There's nothing else to do. And there was that whole network around the country. So what were you doing in the kind of pre-86 period? 
What, musically or in life, you mean? Well, kind of music, because it sounds like you were there and, and doing things before 86. Me, yeah, I was, I was in another band which was called The Depraved. Yeah. We were all very nice though. And um, that became another, we changed the name to Visions of Change, but we were, we, we formed at school. And um, so this would have been uh, in about 1981, I guess we would have formed. So we were playing, we, we'd done a couple of albums by the time that I met you, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, and and we, we toured, toured around Europe and stuff like this. And so we already had uh, a little bit of connections with various underground European networks, because that's how it, all, how it all worked in back in those days as well. There was, it was, it was, a there was no official right. booking agents, there was no official anything. Everyone just knew everyone in an underground thing. I mean, you you just even saying things like Chumbawamba and... Um, Blythe, was it Blythe Power? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know those guys from early eighties. Yeah, you know, because yeah. well, we, we just we played with them, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, no, but even, even so, like Blythe Power, it's like I know, I know them before I knew you. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, and like Jamie, who was a uh, married Kate Moss, he was he was playing guitar for them when I first met him. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's was, it was fantastic network to join, yeah. but but yes, it was. Just a couple of people really good at organising. Gigs was one of them, and Ian, like you say, was one of them. And mm -hmm. Ian from the Depraved, and it was because of that really connections with America. And but another thing, rock and roll, another thing that we so used to do in, in Leamington though was that we were linked to is that me and the singer guy for this Depraved Visions of Change and a bunch of other people. Um, we used to arrange tours for different bands from America, little punk bands or independent bands or whatever, uh, to come to Leamington. They would come here rather than Coventry or Birmingham, which are like the bigger cities, and play here and stay stay with us and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, so, and it, it, yeah. that again helped us when we first started playing. It's like, well, we, were, we already had a network to, to fit into. Like we wanted yes. to go and play in Leeds. Right, well, just, I call the people they, in Leeds yeah. because I know them, you know, we, it was, yeah. it was amazing. They, they would. They'd bring all these bands over from America, put them on round England, and we'd go with them. Mm. So we'd be, we'd be gigging all the time, all over the place. It's like, it um, kind of a local like Scream, you know, you know the band Scream? Yes, mm -hmm. Scream. No. No, I don't. Dave, Dave, Grohl. Dave Grohl on the drums. Yeah, Dave Grohl as the drummer for Scream. It was oh. before Nirvana, obviously. And, and he came, he came over, we played with them all around. Britain, yeah, and I toured around Europe with them as well. Yeah. Back in the day, we we just make these huge, huge connections with, with yeah. everyone because that was the only way that we could do. Nobody had any money, and as you say, with the the doll thing, it, it, it kind of worked both ways. It was like we're we're doing nothing, we're unemployed. Let's form a band, but also I want to form a band. I don't have time to go to work. Yeah, if, if I sign the doll or do this enterprise allowance scheme, then that that gives me my safety net. So that I can continue on doing this band thing that I want to do. Yes, you know, I, mean, and, I was actually working at the time, but yeah. But the other thing that was quite interesting, which is slightly touched on, is that during that part period, and I'm sort of into the '90s, there was a sort of you had gatekeepers, and you, and also as you said, the network. So you, so you, you got to play on the John Peel show or John Peel session, suddenly all those little clubs that appeared in every city and town in, in sort of the UK, especially, you know, someone would phone up and say, oh, do you want to come and play at the Wild Club at Norwich on a Tuesday night? Or do you want to go to the George Roby or the Princess Charlotte at Leicester? And then, you know, there's Brighton, mm -hmm. Bristol, you know, Glasgow. So there were these kind of like gave people that opportunity to play in front of complete strangers rather than just playing like in front of your friends and family and anybody else who can emotionally blackmail to come and see you. So that, that kind of gives people that opportunity to jump into their van and go, right, we're going to Norwich. Where is Norwich? Blackmail. It was proper blackmail, not emotional blackmail. Pictures of you with a 10-year-old boy. It's that sort of blackmail. No, I mean, yeah. we, for us, for, for us, we, we you know, through, through what I've been doing earlier with other bands and, and arranging stuff, we, we would do gig swaps with people that was that was the you know once you become friends and new new people you would say okay you who leads for example again um you know will play you you come here you stay at our house 
we'll put you on supporting us in our town and then we'll go yes. to your place and we'll support you in your town you know yes. it was and, like that wasn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely you know we had a flat and, and you couldn't see the floor ever because of sleeping bags and bodies of bands that were just know. staying you know mm -hmm. it was so it was so lovely and no one washed and no one ah. even washed, did they, in those days? That was weird. When I look back at washing, I just think, I, we didn't even have a washing machine. I don't know what happened. Best not to think about it. But um, so when did you start rehearsing? Yeah, I, know, I know what you mean. <laughs> when so, did we start rehearsing? Yes, as a band. Oh, just one thing. Were the photos from Leamington Spa? No. Okay. Because Sharon, Sharon was in the photos, but... They had a singer oh, called yeah. Wendy Wu, I think her name Wendy was, Wu. and they were from Evesham, Evesham was about 30 miles west of here. Um, oh, because I did an interview with a member of the, the, the band. So was Sharon one, did she become the, the singer of the photos? Uh, much later on in their career. I think the, the Wendy, I didn't know her, but uh, she left or whatever. And then um, they had the manager from, um, Duran Duran, Simon Napier Bell, oh, uh, was uh, took over management. And so with Wendy left, they wanted to get a couple of girls singers in. So they got Sharon and her friend Karen, who were uh, oh, yeah. near Stratford on Avon way, and um, to do that. But I, I don't think that really, really happened very much for her. It was it was a, a brief period towards the end of the photos, as far as it I'm was, aware. Yes, uh, I think it was it was the last yeah, can. I think so. so. But in terms of rehearsals, there was... Yeah, so, yeah. so when, did, when did you start thinking, this is us, we're the band, and we've got a name? Yeah, well, there was <gasps> we a... Were no, we were happy fun, weren't we, for a little yeah. while. We started rehearsing straight away, and it was, it was pretty much all the time, wasn't it? Yeah. And writing songs. Well, there was the bass player, Robbie. She had... Um, uh, she lived in... There's this big house just outside of town and there were two little lodges at the front gates there which are tiny little like cottages and she had one of them and it's in the middle of nowhere so we'd go there and rehearse there and there'd be me and Robbie playing bass and Yvonne and Sharon and we went through a bunch of different guitar players to see who would who, who could do it because a lot of a lot of the, the guitar stuff that we were writing but I was writing I guess was quite complicated stuff your, your, your prog rock people would like this, you know. Steve um, Ho, Steve Ho. So, um, <laughs> in fact, one of them, one of them, uh, Baz, went on to join a band called Bolt Thrower. You know them? Yes. They're like some sort of metal thing. Probably. Yeah. And Baz played guitar for us for a while. Another guy, Alex, played with us for a little while. Uh, but he was... He was a bit too much of a stoner, I guess. He was just he was so floppy. So but, we won't give you his surname. Yeah. <gasps> Uh, oh, yeah. and now he now he does martial arts anyway. But, um, <laughs> and so we got eventually got Charlie in, who was Robbie's toy boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> Charlie was about sixteen or something like this, and Robbie was about she was really old, like twenty five. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, she, oh, yeah, she was. <laughs> she was much older than Charlie, and uh, so but he he was he was a good guitar player. And he, oh yes. He yeah. liked his. Uh, he came from, I guess, more psychedelic rock world. I think Charlie did. Yes. So he, he, we had to kind of educate him a little bit. But then when me and Yvonne were living in this one house, Robbie and Charlie ended up having the flat underneath us. So it was like this whole house that we were living in became kind of... And Barry used yeah. to play guitar. She lived upstairs. It was all so communal. It was, yeah. it was, it was almost like a commune, but, yeah. but a, bit, yeah. a bit posher. A big, a big old townhouse in Leamington. Mm -hmm. So, so we'd go and uh, maybe, I don't know, probably a couple of three times a week, we go, oh, yeah, we go and rehearse at Robbie's. And then the rest of the time, it was just, it was, it was just writing, you know, mm. and it was, it was all, everything had a political agenda. That, that was, you know, when Sharon got me in the band, it was, I was definitely, because my thing's harmonies, you see, I, I, I've been singing for ages and my family is a singing family. So I've been doing harmonies since I was two. So me and Sharon, it was great to sort of like do all the harmony things. So you and, already, like you already had your voice. You already felt confident singing. You weren't one of those people who, who it came sort of like, oh, I'm not sure I've never done this before. Oh, yeah, well, I've never done it in front of anybody. <laughs> oh, no, apart from family, like yeah. I was saying, but no, no, but it was, it was a great opportunity to do some really complex harmonies and I really made it difficult for myself. Put your fingers in your ears. See, the thing is that Yvonne's a really good singer, you see, so 
I'm sh- I'm sh- I didn't have my fingers in my ears. So, no, no, so you didn't get all big-headed. So, oh, right. so she's really so good singer, so she doesn't... It, for her to say, you sing this, she goes, oh, OK, like this. And everyone goes, yeah, that's great. You know, so it's it's not like she should be embarrassed about standing, standing on a stage and, and singing, because she was just... just it, she was just good at it. Oh, that's so, very fine. Yeah, I know. You can pay it's me just, later. Gigs, it's quite good on drums, too. But, like, when we first, first started, you know, obviously, we didn't have any songs at this point. So we... Uh, did, like, you know, like any band does, we did a few cover versions of stuff for us in rehearsals, like um, the Revillo's motorbike beat, you know, that song, and I suppose Right is Right by Mad Parade. Yeah, I uh, think we did the Time Warp as well. Oh, we did the Time Warp as well, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's just us, just people learning to play together, you know. But, but then we discovered, I don't know, we wanted to write a song about the um, slaughter in the Faroe Islands, you know, the, the whale killing that went on there. We, we all got quite serious with the lyrics, didn't mm-hmm. we? Yeah, we really wanted to say something. That was there, and then it, all I remember is writing the lyrics all the time, all the time. But I think it was a, a conscious decision on my part, I believe, oh. <laughs> to say, right, we, we are learning how to do this. We, we will not play live until we're good enough. Oh, so, yes, no, you did go on and on about that. Yeah, so, we, so, we'll, so we, you know, we, rather than go, go somewhere and be shit, we wanted to go somewhere and be good straight away. And the only way you can do that is by practice and practice and practice and, you know, hone your art, so to speak, and be... You know, be professional about it almost. And, and, and as you so. can hear, Giggs was definitely the taskmaster. Definitely. Yeah. He was definitely the driving force behind, behind us <laughs> because, all. Because we, we've <laughs> mentioned yeah. the dear old Chumbawamba, and there's probably other bands like Blythe Power, and uh, they'd been crass as well, obviously. I mean, and then during the 80s, especially that mid 80s, Red Wedge and the SWD were such a big thing. So were you kind of part of that scene? Because I'm sure you remember the band called the Redskins. and that classic album, Neither Washington Nor Moscow, which we all loved as indie kids. So were you sort of drawn to that or were you in a different gang? Because because being part of, being vaguely part of that scene, they were like subgroups of subgroups. So, you know, suddenly went, oh, I hate the SWP because they're not political enough. I'm into the anarchist movement. And it's like, oh, blimey, it's also tetchy. So I just wondered where you, you guys were all sitting on that front. It- the like red wedge sort of Billy Bragg type of thing that was that wasn't really where we were at. I mean, uh, the the underground punky world was different to that because that that was more what would you call it? Not even indie. That was more um, hmm. I don't know. I don't even know what you call that style of music. It's 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 not really nasty enough musically for us we were we, we were just very very much in on with like the the fugazi world the discord music world the bad brains world um it, their, their stuff wasn't punk enough for us i think it's probably yeah i mean there, there was there's a lot of activism going on there wasn't there there was a lot of i mean we were very much into animal rights we were vegetarian we, we, you know we wanted we wanted to you know very much we had we had this is didn't we? <laughs> and I, to be honest, I think Chumbawamba were more in with us than than, uh, than Chumbawamba were more in than Chumbawamba more Redskins. I don't think that they identified with that. We were more of the uh, the hippie anarcho squatter scene. That's that's it. Except, are, uh, except I don't think we anarchists. I don't think we were hippies. I don't think we were anarchists and we weren't squatters. Well, I was. Yeah, you I know, but that. So that subculture, basically. But spiritually, you know, it's, you, it's, you, but spiritually, you were more in that camp, even though you weren't quite there. Even though you do sound like you were sort of um, a sort of a, a sort of indie version of Fleetwood Mac, actually, with your living arrangements and relationships. <laughs> <laughs> and all the arguments. <laughs> you don't dare argue with him. Good grief, would you? Yeah. Did you ever have a problem of did you ever have a problem with whose band it was because because having spoke to a few people especially on the political front there was often an issue to do with power struggles and who who sort of had a say in stuff and um, and sometimes it was kind of difficult because a lot of people thought let's all have a vote and let's all be equal members but then that created more of a problem than just say look this is kind of more my band I write most of the songs so we're going to do it this way I just wondered if you ever if that ever was a kind of a, a, a tricky thing, the dynamic of the band sometimes. 
No, 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 it wasn't because I think you couldn't have got five nicer people. I, I really do believe we all kind of got on. We we're all so laid back and easy going. Uh, and Giggs, obviously, he's the bossy one. He, he's the driving force. And we were all quite happy to let him do that. And But I wouldn't say it was his band. It was never fun. He, he's... <laughs> He's not. He's not a dictator. He's um, quite happy for it to be my I'm band, and so oh, it was I, my band. I apologise for that. <laughs> I always thought I, I was. I did write all the songs, didn't <laughs> I? I did write all the songs. There you go. There's a little argument there. <laughs> no, I don't think. I think everyone probably. You know, it was never talked about. I don't think we didn't. No, you didn't think about whose band it was or wasn't. It's just everyone had certain strengths, and you you recognise what those strengths were like. Yvonne's was singing, writing melody lines, drawing, because she's very good artistically. And and so for nobody, you can't really say, oh, well, I want to do the singing, I want to do write, sing this melody line on this song, because you know it's not going to be as good as hers. So well, there's no point. And everyone's got their own strengths, and everyone just recognised what they were. And we to we, let we the were person... quite lucky, aren't we? We were quite lucky. Um, yes. We didn't we didn't not really. The only arguments we had, like I say, at the end of the evening, you know, where it was unloading all the gear out the back of the van, and if you didn't move quick enough, we got cross with each other. I know, I got cross with you because I, <laughs> I just driven through. <laughs> I, I think you called us a pair of divas once because we were as, we wouldn't wake up because we were curled up on these I, speakers. I would never use a word like diva. I think you did. <laughs> you? Well, I definitely got called a diva. No, I, I, I don't, we, didn't, we never thought about it like that. I know no, it was, I know it may it come across that like I'm the bossy <laughs> the bossy one or whatever, but that's just because that he's quite that, laid back. That's my that was my strength. It's like right, here's what we gotta do. We gotta you know, I'll go and get the van, you go and get the stuff, da, 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 get the thing, we'll load up them, go then, go then, right, here's the sound check, everyone do do your job. And mm. that's just and everyone sort of went, yeah, okay, well that's obvious obvious that that's what we're gonna do. You know, we're all going to turn up at the right time. We're all going to get in the van at the right time. We're all going to be ready for sound check at the right time. And we did as we were told. There was no alternative. Yeah. It's only stating the obvious, really. Yeah. I, I was fine with the band. It was like the, us five going out. And I mean, we, we were lucky enough to tour with so many other fabulous people. And we got to meet so many different people, obviously, because of this, you know, touring around with. So many different sorts of people. We were kind of always looking outward at other people and their arguments, if you like. We, we were just going there and going, okay, we'll do our bit, kind of thing. But to, yeah. be honest, to, to be honest, I don't remember any, I had a lot of involvement with loads and loads of other groups. I don't really remember any of them arguing. No, ever. no. Everyone, everyone was just happy to be there. No, we weren't out to make any money or anything. That was never, ever the. Luckily, <laughs> but no, it wasn't. I mean, it was nice to go to a venue and set up and play. And the best thing about the evening would be to cover the costs and to sometimes they laid food on for you when you got there, and it was, that was it, and it was fine. Double and then we'd all get back in the van and we'd all go to work the next day. Sometimes they'd drop me off at work the next morning, <laughs> but that's being young and being able to do things like yes, that. Yes, that, that, that's definitely youth. So look, you did, you're one of the bands who did a John Peel session, which is always exciting, isn't it? God, I hope you had a John Peel oh. session. Yes. So did that sort of, because you'd been together a couple of years by then, so with John, when John Peel sort of gave you the kind of the blessing, I suppose, did it feel like we're on a mission here? This is, things are clicking now, because that is kind of the great cliche, the indie world of like get together spend 12 months together making noise john peel plays it then the john peel session first album things are going well so yes was that a good one there's that book the uh, the john peel session book which i've got somewhere at home wherever it is and um <clears throat> I can't, what year did we do that i think it was 88 88, so you'd have been 21, would you have been at the time? Yeah. I thought you were younger than that, but no, it was... Um, it was an experience and a half, we had your John Pills. I've got a different, a different version, an older version of that book, I think. It doesn't have a picture of him on the front. It's got like a picture of a, a, a tape machine or something. But I'd already done one with the other group, the, the punky band that I've been, the Visions of Change, Depraved. And also... Of course the, he had. And also the first... <laughs> The first band that me and the singer for those had brought over to the UK, the Rhythm Pigs, we'd, oh, yeah. we'd gone down to London and they'd done a field session as well. So I, I kind of knew where it was and how it worked. <clears throat> and um, but it was good. I mean, oh, it was, it was really exciting. It, 
If... We, had, we had Dale Griffin. Yeah. Mot you know who Dale Griffin is? The Mot the Hoople drummer. Yeah. Yes. And most people say, God, he was a really grumpy old git and we didn't like him and he didn't like us, but we had a good time. Well, he made a good sound, but it wasn't that amazing experience. Did, what was your experience of Dale like? Well, first of all, I'm going to interject with two rock and roll stories about Dale Griffin. A friend of mine, Pooch, you know, remember Pooch? Yeah, of course. Um, Pooch says that he saw Mott the Hoople play in 1974, okay? Uh, Pooch's a bit older than me, so you don't see Mott the Hoople play in 1974. And the opening band, the support act, was a band called Queen. <laughs> he, says, he just says, I could not believe this band Queen. They came on, they played 30 minutes, and they were the best band I've ever seen in my life. They just blew Mott the Hoople away. And at one point, Dale, Dale Griffin's there, he's playing his drums, and he's got his roadie bloke there, and he's like, and the, the roadie bloke's all over him. What do you want? And Dale Griffin punches him in the face, knocks him, <laughs> knocks him out, <laughs> and then he carries on playing drums. So yes, he was quite a moody, moody soul. <laughs> He, he was fine. I mean, the, the, the thing I'd know, I knew from Peel Sessions, do, having done them already, was that you go in there, you, know, you load in, you set up, and you, you check everything, and they before, before they start, Dale and his engineer say, right, we've got, we've got a time frame for this, we start now, we've got to do this then, we'll break for dinner at that point, and then we'll do the mixing then, and then we'll be out here by 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening. And they knew it was never going to happen because you're always there till 11, you know, because it's, it's quite a lot of stuff to get done in one day. But they, they give you, okay, we could got to get done by then. Because, you know, they were like the proper people. You were just like some, some low-life scum coming into the, their studio, their proper big BBC studio. I know, wasn't it exciting? I'll tell you who was next door. Aka Bilk, wasn't he? I don't he know. Was like, sake. Yes, <laughs> he was. He was, he was. he was doing clarinet next door. We were listening. Do you remember? Okay. It, it, you know, it was fun. It was proper. Was it? it was really, yes. really good to to proper, to proper watch. Band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, to do appeal session was really, really good and really amazing, proper. Yeah. It was. Yes. But then, you know, and and I guess it is. You are right. It's it's like a uh, a thing to put on your your CV if you like. It's like as a band. It's like yeah, we did this. We played that place. So, we did a peel session. Oh, you did a peel session, yeah. Did he come down? No, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> never did. He never went down to any of the sessions. Oh, yes. No, not us, he didn't, but he did two other, like the Stupids did one, and uh, yeah. he, he went to see them, phoned them up, did an interview with them on... on the so, oh. 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 Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, well, they, uh, the they were from Ipswich. They were probably his local band. He probably felt a bit of loyalty uh, towards them because there weren't there weren't many bands. So look, in '88, though, this is the year you bring out your album as well, with the uh, the pun named "Joys of Spring," "Joys of Spring," with yeah. a very very strange art thing of Robbie doing a something that's supposed to be like an eye or something on well, the front cover. Yeah. So, what's your memory of doing? What's your memory of the album and, and it sort of coming together? Because this was all recorded in Leamington Spa, isn't it? Yeah. It was in somebody's house as well, wasn't it? it was There's it a, Tim, a, a guy called Tim Ellis, and he now, he now runs uh, a, uh, an autistic school centred around music and the arts in Leamington. And Tim uh, played in a band called Jack Daw with Crowbar, if you've ever heard of them. Yes. And they were like a... Uh, and they were part of the organisation that was arranging the shows for different bands around town. So, you know, in fact, there was a Melody Maker, Melody Maker, NME piece mm. about uh, Leamington Spa and all the bands coming out there. And so Tim was involved with that as well. That so he, Stephen Wells, wasn't yeah. it? Stephen Wells came down to interview the six, they're all in our living room, six mm. bands from Leamington. So, 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 Leamington scene. So Tim had this um, uh, little eight-track studio. And uh, so we decided to go there because it was cheap. And um, I went to see my doctor and pretended to have a cold of some sort. And so she would sign, she signed me off work for a week and I went back <laughs> a, week, a week later and she extended my signing off. So I was basically off work for two weeks with a sick note from my <laughs> doctor, even though there's nothing wrong with me. Can't her name, Sue was her name. Anyway. But <laughs> yeah. I, she's on the thanks list for the record, I remember that. <laughs> uh, and so 
We just... But it was, it was, it was in his house, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We yeah. spent a, a week in his house. I'll tell you what, though, if I had my time again, yeah, I'd do much more with a vocal because it was, it was very, I will say this, it was very kind of about the music and it was about the guitar, fiddly bits, and it mm -hmm. was, you know, the musicians did tend to dominate me and Sharon. I think sat on the stairs smoking quite a lot of time. See, we'd never heard them before. Yeah. No, we hadn't because it was just. This is true. We so. always had a bit of a job, you know, obviously live because gigs were so loud on the drums that they couldn't turn us up enough in the monitors. So we we haven't got a clue what we sounded like live. So, so it's actually yes, most of the time. It's, it surprised us actually when we heard their, their singing on the record. Oh, actually, it's not Which, too bad. Well, it's, it wasn't too bad, but no. Personally, I, I think I'd spent a lot more time on the vocal because yes. it, it did tend to be we'd get it right and then we'd record the vocal. Um, yeah, that's what I want to do. We record the whole thing again. Starting now. Excuse me, we'll be back in a couple of hours once we finish recording the whole thing. Yes. Oddly enough, oddly enough, Yvonne's son, Joe, who is 21, 22? Yes. Yes, he's 21 or 22, Barry. <laughs> and I, I give him a guitar lesson every day on by, by uh, FaceTime. And um, so I'm teaching you how to play some of the early songs that we did. Oh, yeah, because they're really hard. They are quite hard. Yes. Yeah. And so um, when, again, when, when the album came out, you did it on this uh, label called Meantime Records. Who were they? That was a chap from Darlington called Ian Armstrong, who um, played in bass in a band called Dan. And again, they were part of the this touring network underground thing. So we all knew each other. Dan had played in Leamington, I don't know. And we, we play, uh, played up there with another, one of my other bands and so on. So we all knew each other anyway. And Ian had this particular thing that he liked um, girl singers, didn't he? All the bands that he released, I think, on that label had female singers. And we did, um, we originally did, at, Tim's place, and we did a, like a four-track demo tape, if you like, and we sent him a copy, and then he said he wanted to do this little compilation thing with four bands on it, uh, each with three or four songs, I guess, mm -hmm. called "Shall We Dance?" I think. Does that sound? Yes, right. Yeah. And so we were one of those on on there, um, and that went down quite well. You know, I suppose we'd already been playing about a couple of years. Mm -hmm. in rehearsing for a couple of years before we, yes. we did that yeah, yeah. and on the strength of that we did some some dates like he he would have arranged because he knew the people in Leeds better than I did at the time for us to play a show in um well that was it I remember now well the first one of the first out of town shows we ever did was at the Duchess of York in Leeds which is a very famous venue at the time no longer exists mm -hmm. and um I think it was it was a night to to um promote that split 12 inch thing and we were like second we was billed randomly or whatever and then the, the, the band who was supposed to be headlining they dropped out for whatever reason so whoever was in charge said right well you look you guys can play last we thought we've never played I think we'd done one show before and then suddenly we're headlining at this place and it was rammed it's like no, nobody here is going to know any of our stuff anything about us we're just a band who's turned up and we started playing and we were really surprised because people in the audience were singing our song. Mm. I said, how did you know the words? And it's from this EP that had come out and mm. obviously had done the rounds a little bit. And I, I was, I couldn't believe it really. Mm. Any more, more I, I was expecting that? indifference and lots of it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I drove back from Leeds very quickly that night. I remember it was like, oh, of course it's good. And um, then we went to record the album. Got it. So then, I mean, at that stage, because when I when I earlier said about, you know, that there's kind of like little kind of things that happen in the kind of musical chapters between, you know, punk, post-punk, then that kind of indie world. Obviously we had the mainstream charts and the Trevor Horn production sounds and, you know, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and ABC and all that kind of world. So you had Top of the Pops over there and you had the John Peel show over there. So it was kind of easy to be in either camp and then you had little subsections. But around 87, to hear the Smiths broke up, 
you know, big moment for me. But indie pop had slightly died at that stage, hadn't it? Ecstasy came in. And a lot of those bands that I had sort of been, you know, obsessed with and have interviewed said, actually, no one really cared about us anymore because suddenly everyone wanted the next thing, which was like these Stone Roses and Happy Mondays and Primal Scream and the Soup Dragons had got it as well. And they just went, you know, like all the bands like the Wolfhounders and Yeah, Yeah, No, were like, actually, fuck it, we've had enough. And But you proud on through the rest of the 80s, didn't you? In into Almost into the 90s. So did you just keep on rocking? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it, it was funny because we were so busy and so caught up in our world anyway, that, that like you say, that period, that Stone Roses kind of period, uh, I, I'm, I'm catching up with that now, if you like, because I, I was well out of that scene. I, I wasn't even looking at anything like mm. that. All my world for the for about seven years was just, you know, our scene and our kind of music, our crowd, etc. So, yes, yeah, so uh, a second thought. And like I say, Stone Roses had... I haven't got a clue who they were. But, but like some like the, the audience for the, the Smiths, they weren't our audience. No. Completely different audience. Yeah. The bands, if you like, who would have been um, across both of that. You know, you've got the Smiths audience there and our audience here. The people in the middle would probably be someone like the Primitives or the Darling Buds, who were a little bit punky, mm. but not properly punky, and a bit indie, indie rock. But yeah. not indie rock. Maybe even on a bigger scale, I guess. Um, uh, well, obviously you've got The Cure somewhere over there, and um, what do you call them? The Cult, who are yeah. obviously like the stadium version of what we we would do. But you know, well, the the fact that you know, the Smiths broke up, they they weren't our audience well, it was, anyway. It was, it was grunge hardcore, wasn't it? That's mm. what we were. That, that was our. Grunge, we grunge hadn't been. No one knew what the word yeah. grunge meant they, at that point. They did. That, that was, that was <laughs> But I, suppose, I can remember because I, I, you know, used to listen and record the John Peel show on my trusty TDK D90 cassette. And he would obviously started playing all those other things like Public Enemy and Gregory Isaacs. And then the Bundy Boys, we love the Bundy Boys. And then there was all this stuff from Sonic Youth and Big Black and the Pixie started to come along. And obviously there was a compilation he had in the late 80s, which was Sub Pop 100, which had all those bands that we all loved, didn't we all grew to love? So were you kind of going, oh, this is very interesting, Husker-Doo, this is kind of a bit more of our scene and the dead Kennedys and people like that? Yeah, I, I mean, you can, you can bracket, I mean, all of this is, is you know, kind of like Venn diagrams with overlapping <laughs> bits on it. I, remember I, was, I went to university when I was like 24 or something like this, um, so it'd been 1988. And I remember I used to get a lift there and, and back and with this guy, Simon, and um, he'd always, he was into punk stuff and he'd be kind of informing me with other sorts of things that I didn't know. Like he, he was the first person to play me the Pixies. And I remember at the time thinking, well, this is, this is not what I listen to, but it's really good. <laughs> you know, and because they were a crossover between the Beatles and punk or whatever, you know, whatever your rock and roll and punk. And Sonic Youth were, I don't know, the Sonic Youth were just out there they were like a 60s band and punk. You know, there all these groups of people were something and punk. Husker Du were like the birds and punk. Yes. You know, so it's... Yeah. You're thinking that someone like Husker Du were much more in our scene than the Pixies were. Or that... <clears throat> Dead Kennedys were much more in our scene, I would say. Yes. I mean, and the scene, I guess, is more, is more governed by the audience. Mm -hmm. Like, which... Who's going to come and see you play? The people who are going to come and see us play will be the same as the people who are going to come and see the Dead Kennedys play, but maybe a quarter of them will go and see the Pixies. Oddly enough. Yes, that all makes sense. So, so your last recording, was this the EP, Cuddle, Cuddle This? Was this your last moment in the studio? Uh, no. We haven't had our last moment no. in the studio. So anyway, so Cuddleist, Cuddleist was, um, uh, we fall out with Ian, we just didn't think that he was Ian Armstrong, the meantime fella. Uh, he wanted us to do another thing with him, but we didn't really, I don't think we felt that he would be the right person for it. That's quite diplomatic, he said. Um, but with these other people called Vinyl Solution in uh, London, 
<clears throat> and I, I knew they were French, but there was people who worked for them. Rob Tennant was a chap who worked for them. And he was good friends with the stupids. And obviously we knew the stupids, blah, 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 and so on. So uh, Rob got in touch with me and said, uh, the people here at Vinyl Solution, they want to, if you want to do an EP, and we'll actually get someone to go to the studio with you, whose name I forget now, the producer person, whatever. And, and so where do you want to do it? So we, there was a studio that we knew that was up here. So he came up, he got very drunk the night before. And then we all went to the studio and did the, the Cuddleless record, which I think, and listen to it now, I think it sounds really good. It sounds better than the album, so to speak, mm. but um, that's just because it was I done on, on, with better equipment, I think. You know, yeah. some of those songs on there, um, I think they they kind of stand the, step, the test of time in a way that uh, I don't think all of the other stuff did. But we did do another EP afterwards called Boring Rock, which was, um, I think we just did that ourselves. And we, yes. and we recorded loads of other bits and pieces that have never been released as well. Right. So yeah. you got into the 90s. You definitely got to that de next decade. Say that again, sorry. I, I said you definitely got into the 90s then. You were still sort of a going concern into the next decade. Yeah, yeah. Though, I mean, I certainly was from about 80 nine onwards i was starting to go off on tour with other bands as a tour manager and you, yeah and you were in other bands anyway oh i was in, I was in another band as well i was in three bands at that time i mean but, <laughs> yeah he was, was in three bands and at one night we it was three gigs we were all on the same bill the three bands and he was drumming for all of us that was so, good yes, planning that was very good planning yeah well kind of I mean, there, there was actually one day when i played six shows in one day we played two at the George Roby for Joyce and Visions of Change, and then we went overnight. Uh, I drove overnight to um, Belgium. We did an afternoon show in the middle of in, right. in Belgium. I played for two bands. Then I drove to Amsterdam, or no, somewhere else in Belgium. And I did two shows. Then then I drove to Amsterdam, and we slept then. And then and then I got <laughs> really right. sick and had diarrhoea for about a week. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! It was a little bit tired. When so when so when did you have your when was your last gig as a band? Did you have a moment where you thought this is it when you walked off stage? Uh, no, I think Kidderminster Market Tavern probably. Oh, okay, that sounds good because we we at a certain point with well, Robbie the bass player, <clears throat> she decided she didn't want to do it anymore, and so I think we got uh, Sharon's brother Spencer in to play bass for a while. He already yeah, I'd been in a band with him because he played bass with Visions of Change previously and and then I uh, didn't really do very much with Spencer and then we got another chap called Malcolm in to play bass and Malcolm we'd known for years and years because Malcolm had played drums in another band called Identity from Redditch that we knew Malcolm was living in Leamington and um so he was like, well, he, we played gigs with Malcolm, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, we, we only played a couple with him. Okay. One was at the uh, the garage in London, and the other one was at the Kidderminster Market Tavern oh. in an all-dayer. Uh -huh. Those I, ones. I, I think the, re the reason we stopped doing it, <laughs> everybody everybody was moving in different musical directions anyway. You know, yes. Malcolm wanted to stuff, didn't he? And, yeah. and you were kind of caught up in all your tour managers. Just life. Life was getting out of the way. Did you ever have a moment where you said, this, you know, let's call it the end, or did it just just putter out and you just went, God, we haven't played played music? Kind of. Well, the, the thing is that after after the Robbie and Spencer period, um, I think I, I was off on tour for quite a lot at the time. I was working with a band called Snuff, if you ever heard of them. Oh, God, I love Snuff. Yeah, so I was on tour with Snuff during the, the uh, <laughs> 88 to 91 period, during their first album and, and stuff in America and Japan and all this sort of stuff around the world with them um and then so that's why that's why really <laughs> well kind of you know, yeah, you know sharon sharon had a kid and she had to she go through a divorce at the time and so that's takes up her world um you i, I become a, i become a post lady which is mm -hmm. which is all i wanted to do we used to do a postman patterns a warm-up um that was what i was our didn't we, did we? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, for a sound check. Yeah. We'd do postman pat. And I'd always had a secret secret desire to be a post lady, so I've kind of um, I'm living the dream. Post now. postman lady. <laughs> I'm yes. living the dream and I've, I've been a post lady ever since. Yeah. 
But we haven't really stopped doing music, you see, even when the band's split up. And we still are. And Giggs has just got a house in Leamington, which isn't far from here. And he's wasted no time. And he's set up a studio, his garage, he's got the full works. And we're all thinking, well, once obviously, after all this. Once everyone stopped dying yeah, or whatever. Yes. You know. Obviously, once we can safely, we'll all be over there doing more recordings. We've got, got some... more songs. We're, we're, so look, we one, thing, really... one thing us fans love is when people go and archive their material. Have you sort of thought, look, as we want to do some new material, that's great, but let's go and get all the old material and put it in one nice, easy-to-access compilation with a few sleeve notes? Well, that exists, no, doesn't it? No, it does. We've got it. That exists. That's it. We've got it. Love, song, love songs for Kirk. That's right. Love songs for Kirk. And what we'll do, we'll send you one. I've got loads of copies. Um, <laughs> I've got one here. Oh, yeah. It's uh, okay. basically this bloke called, um, what's his name, Aston? He carried them about, my person. Aston. Yes. He got in touch with us because um, he wanted to, he was doing compilations, like CD compilations of bands, old punk bands that didn't have, the CD hadn't been invented then, had it? No. So he did one for Brave Visions of Change. Um, he did one for us and another band that I played in uh, called Bad Beach. He did one for for them as well. So uh, they've got that. So they've got stuff that you would never have heard. I'm sure on there. Yeah, no, I bet you. Oh, look at you. I know. I'm very <laughs> excited. I'm just <laughs> thinking. Oh shit! I didn't know that because yes, because because it's quite hard. There isn't a lot out there on on the band, is there? No, no. Track tracking you yes. down was quite tricky. Yeah. Way to you. Yeah, every your address. <laughs> oh, well, she's you. a post lady. She can deliver it. I can limit deliver it myself. <laughs> Did you watch Norwich earlier on the telly, by the way? If you can just sign it, you, yeah. So look, so interesting. Then after all these years, and and you know, life happens, and we do that stuff. You know, there are sort of thoughts and dreams of sort of making new music. Well, sure. I mean, I've I've got uh, actually found four songs that we've never even mixed before um that didn't have any drums on them just had like a, a click track and so on so uh, i've been putting that on uh, at home so i can uh, i can give you a, i can email you copy to that when it's done and, and, and i've got a load of load of tunes today, are you one about the four tunes that we've actually got the yeah f song arcade um yeah, Papa we're, wheelie we're, we're gonna so. we're gonna do we're gonna put them together because mm. because that was of the band days, but they never got, that we were working on them at the time. Yeah, these were recorded and they're so good. 25 oh. years ago or something like this, you know. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> but they just, they just, they just recorded and then I went off on tour or something and they just not, never got any, oh, any further. I think they're my favourite songs as I well. I think so, so, at, least, so yes. at least a couple of them are, I think, the best things that we've ever done. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, and, we should definitely send you some. And, yeah, and then we do stuff as well. Yes. Cool. And did you find Yvonne, Yvonne, did you find your your voice again? Or did you, I mean, you probably never stopped singing, but did you sort of think, yes, even now, we're decades later, it's still it's still there. You still have the voice. Tell the band. Oh, very noisy. I'm always singing. I told you I'm a post lady. I've got a roll around. I'm proper postman pat post lady. And I sing every day very loudly, don't I? <laughs> I've probably got more confidence in my singing now mm. than I did up then. So yes, so there's no shitting and, me up. And even something like uh, Boxing Day, it's a, it's always round to her her family, and then they give me a guitar and they just start singing a song, and I've got to play along, and everyone sings along for about four hours. Well, well funnily enough, my brother um, is <laughs> my brother. One, you remember Opportunity Knocks? Yes. Absolutely. Years and years ago, he was, he, was the, he was the last person ever to win Opportunity Knocks. And that was my brother, you see. What's and his name? So he's, he's, his name's Mark Rattray. And he's, he's my half-brother, you see. And we've got very musical, different musical directions, obviously. But, um, well, he's, he's, he's Mr. Showbiz, and he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a big singer in Carpenter. lady on the telly, her there, look, she was quite living. She just, you can't watch the television while we're doing it. Don't look. Anyway, just because we're talking about me, that's what it is, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> anyway, so so he, I have actually, <laughs> for my dad's 60th, obviously it's just going back a little bit, but, but Mark put on a big show and it was a very sort of like showbiz show and he had um, 
had Susan Warren. Do you remember Susan Warren? She sang Bobby's Girl. Yes, Blimey Am I. Well, yeah, a show you've got her, and you've got lots of celeb friends. So she, she came on, and the Nolans. Oh, he's, he's a big friend of the Nolans. Wow. So, <laughs> I'm in I mean, the mood this, for this dancing. Is, Classic. Absolutely. Well, well, they did they did my my dad's party as well, and I got up on stage to sing with them. Well, I sat a song with my brother mm -hmm. with the Nolans. A, dr a dream come true. Direction, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, just, it's just, so I was just yeah. going to say, just lastly, what would you say then individually to an eighteen-year-old self if you could say something to yourself back then, or you know, like you thought what you've learned over decades, being in the band and doing all the stuff you've done, what you'd have said, to, you know, so you thought, yeah, I could have just done it slightly differently. Some words of wisdom, I suppose. This is a four-way question. What would I say to me? What would she say to her? What would she say to an 18-year-old me? And what would I say to an 18-year-old her? So wow. that's, that's, that's okay. another one. I'll just give you a slap. <laughs> there. Go on, anyway. But yeah. no, me personally, I mean, on, a, on a silly note, but it's, it's actually, I'm, I'm as blind as a bat, and I spent all of the band years on stage. <laughs> Not wearing my glasses because of vanity. I'd say, you know, enjoy, enjoy it, make the most of it for yourself, I'd say, because I mean, I can't remember any of the gigs or any of the people I met really, and I wouldn't be able to recognize them because I didn't wear my glasses ever. So I'd say, get some contact lenses, <laughs> enjoy yourself properly. <laughs> it's true. But apart yeah. from that, I'd say, what would you say to an 18 year old me? Oh, what words of wisdom? What, do you, what words of wisdom would you say to an 18 year old me? 18 year old. I'd say. Um, Stop being so bossy. Yeah. Um, I'd, yeah, no, I wouldn't. No, no, I, I don't think. No, 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 I wouldn't. Well, what would you say to me then? Do, do what he tells you to do. <laughs> we did all that, didn't we? That's no regrets. Really. I have I, no regrets, but I think that we, I wish we'd worked harder at what we did. Let's put more time Same, I, I think so. I think perhaps we should have taken it a little bit more seriously. We, we did get a phone call actually once from Chrysalis, didn't we? Chrysalis mm -hmm. Records, who were interested. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Was, well, you took the call. I took the call, and I was, bear in mind, I was quite young. And they said, um, oh, Chris, This is Chrysalis Records here. And I said, Oh, that's. Because they're blondie wrong Chrysalis, weren't they? Blondie yes. Chrysalis. Yeah, and they says, we're interested, um, would you be interested in coming, you know, one of our people come, coming to listen to you, etc, etc, etc. I said, no, thank you. <laughs> I said, no, thank you. And they said, oh, I says, bye bye then. And I, the phone then. And I, I went and told all the band, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I just said, no, this list. Yes, we're not selling out. <laughs> so there. Mm. So probably I'd, I'd take that phone call again. Yes, I think we we should have probably just worked a bit harder about doing what we doing what we do. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. I think so. Too. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's not like we had an opportunity to do something great or whatever. But we, having spent all my life touring with other bands and so on, we it would have been a great adventure for us to get out and about around the world and and, and play and yeah. You know, I'm, I'm saying it now because I know how to do it, you know, because I've been doing it for 30 odd years. Uh, we nearly went to America, didn't we, as well? Didn't Did we? we? Yeah, but. Um, you didn't tell me about it. it, it again, it was, it was silly little things that came up that we. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that did happen because I mean, Sharon and Dex, yeah. obviously she had a little. And, Mm. Did you um just did you uh, have you catalogued all the gigs that you played as well and all the you know different dates and venues? No. No, we didn't, did we? No, but I can think of three or four of them. Did you ever play Norwich? Uh, no, I think we played Ipswich at the Caribbean Club very early on in our time with uh, Chumbawamba, actually, as it goes. Not that Ipswich is the same as Norwich, but it's roughly around that area. It's on the and east it, coast, isn't it? Yeah. That's and it yeah. So, um, no, I don't think we ever did. I mean, I've been to Norwich many, many times, usually to the UEA or the waterfront since then. But um, no. No.
That's it. There you go. Well, look, this has been fantastic. Well, thank you ever so much for giving me this hour. This has been fantastic. Oh, it's, it's been a pleasure. You enjoy it, yeah? It was a nice yeah. chat, wasn't it? This is good. This is good. Well, I'm, I'm pleased, you know, and it, hopefully it looks like it's all recorded. And um, yes, well, you know, it's, it's great. Have I, have I got your email address? I think I probably have, haven't I? Yes, on, on and I'll give you mine. And I can, I can pop you my email address on. Because I know I'll do a retransfer with what I've just recorded on here if, if you want, if it makes it any easier. Because I don't yeah, know, it could be good. Yeah, because you've got to edit it for the radio, haven't you? Well, yes, yes, this is true. Okay, then. Well, look, thank you. This will be a better quality thing. But I know you can, you can take you've got two choices there, yes. Yes, okay. Well, look, thank you again, and thank you, Yvonne. It's been a long time. Thank you. But I, I am so sorry. <laughs> Ask me again. Let's do this again tomorrow night. This has been fabulous. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, Look, now, as soon as I say goodbye, I'll remember all the things I wanted to tell you. And is there anybody else from that period of time that you want to get in touch with and you can't? Uh, because sure, there are. I have to ask you. You must have contacts, mustn't you? You must know. Yes. But I've got a quiz tomorrow night with two people out of the senseless things. Oh, which one's that? Um, Cast and Morgan are do, I'm doing it with tomorrow night. It's funny, I've done Morgan, I've interviewed Morgan. He's the bass player. He's nice he? boy. Yeah, yeah. He's, well, obviously, he plays keyboards with Muse nowadays, you know, so. That's right, yes. And he's, and he's, and he's sort of then told me his dad is one of those people who was quite amazing in the 60s, a singer? Um, yeah. I can't remember his name. He's Billy Nichols, yeah. He was uh, like he was, he was known as some sort of musical prodigy, and he's uh, he's been the musical director for the Who for um, forever, you know. Yes. So, nice Cash was playing drums with the Gorillas for a good while. And, so. Well, that's that's your next project, anyway, isn't it? It was just until all this happened. Obviously, he he was set to go on do a couple of gigs with the Census things. So he were playing with the Who. You know? No. no. Don't put this on the radio. This is what <laughs> you said. No, it's not a census thing. It's two people out of the census things in a band called Circle 60. Oh, that's right. Two people out of the census things in a band called Circle 60. Who had a couple of dates with the Who. And then, who had a couple of dates with the Who. That's what I said. And that's what he was going to be doing. But, but, <laughs> and then they all got cancelled because of this. Wow. Tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. But yeah, I mean, I, I know everybody from that period of time, kind of, sort of, a bit. We just, we, everyone knew, we all know every, we all know each other, you know, it's just, that's what we did. It was, it was built on soaping stamps and things like that, if you know about that. Yeah? <laughs> yes. See, that is, that's, you can't talk about that one, yeah. Yeah, that's legal. Yeah, it's, it's like that thing you see on Facebook where someone got a cassette and a pencil, you know, it's like, and it's like soaping stamps. You know what I mean by that, but people yes. nowadays wouldn't, wouldn't. What do you mean? You put soap on a stamp, yeah, because that way you could rub it off and you reuse it, basically. Yeah, reusing stamps is an important yeah. thing. You go, my God, this is great. This letter hasn't been stamped properly. Wow, let's, you know, all that, you know. Yeah. There, was an, there was another thing that we used to do back in the day when, um, uh, like, if we were trying to arrange a tour for an American band over here, um, and you, know, you couldn't. There weren't, there weren't like cheap phone cards and stuff like this to use to get into. You couldn't do email because it didn't exist. And so if you needed to talk to people in America about stuff, well, the, the guy, the drummer for the stupid, Tommy, um, he was American. Uh, and he had this code, um, which uh, you'd basically dial the operator, say, yeah, I've got to make a, a call to America using this code. Uh, and... and, and you know, you dial a special number and then you, you give them this code and then they say which number you want to dial and you give them the dial and it was charged to some military account somewhere. And you could be on the, the whole of all bands tours were were paid for using this card. And it's the same when me and I went to America with Snuff and I had to arrange all this tour and stuff, you know, phoning venues. Again, you have to phone people everywhere. We used this, this card number, this free card number. Obviously, someone was paying for it somewhere, but it wasn't us. You know, it's like the, the phone version of the soap stamp. Yes, and when my when my brother went in the army, he was stationed in Germany, and he would sort of I don't I, I think he got something like a, the twenty p bit or two bit p bit, which was a lot of money. What it was the equivalent in the mark 
you know, the German mark. So he would just get bags of that and then use them in, you know, in Germany to sort of put them in the phone box. I, I know what you mean. I know. It's, it was the old five pence was the same size as the Deutschmark. Yes, right. So, so he would, and I remember so, going so, to Germany, taking a lot of five P's and putting them in the fag machines. So for 20 pence, you'd, be, <laughs> you'd get like a whole packet of cigarettes where it cost, should cost you four Deutschmarks. Yes. Yeah, they must exactly have... the same size. I know. So those poor old Germans must have gone, ah, oh, fucking hell, the British, you know, like just... You know, and they, they, and they, they did. I mean, I was going to Germany touring with bands for years, and, and this was one thing we'd do, and it's like, ah, oh, the new machines, the new machines, they won't take it. And then, so you go around the old town, ah, oh, look, there's an old cigarette machine on the wall over there. <laughs> Empty the whole thing. You know. Yes. <laughs> and these England are people with their five pence coins, yes. you know. <laughs> it had to be Happy done. Yeah, if I, if I had to relive my 18 year old self, I'll tell him to save up more old five pence coins and go to Germany. I know. <laughs> Buy more stamps and more soap. Yes, wise advice. There you go. That was uh, me in conversation with two members of the Joyce McKinney experience. That was Yvonne McAvoy, Paul McGiven. A huge thank you for giving me the time for that. This has been David Eastall, The C86 Show. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86show at all. And if you want to hear any of the archive, you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, again, C86show. It's all there, much more. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.